Thursday, December 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Mark Reese. Happy Thursday, gentlemen. Hey, hey. One week till Christmas. Everybody One ready? One week. Counting down. As ready as we can be. Yeah. So all your shopping is done. No. Oh, no, I just, uh, you know, I mean, I guess maybe I'm thinking mentally is ready. Oh. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, there's we have a lot going on in like a ten day stretch from Christmas on into the New Year, so it's we're never fully done until the whole thing's finished. Yeah. Hmm. You know. And you? I have no one special in my life, so it's, <laughs> it's really easy for me. <laughs> Loneliness is so fun. Is it wrong that I'm just a tiny bit jealous? <laughs> yeah. Just a tiny, just a one percent jealous. Uh, earnings. Rolling on, we've got Duncan Brands, we've got Rite Aid. We'll also talk about Cuba because that is very much in the news and on the minds of at least a couple of our listeners. But let's start with Oracle. Uh, probably worth noting that five of the last six quarters, Oracle has missed when it came to their revenue. But Jason, that was definitely not the case this time around. Uh, quarterly revenue nine point six billion, net income of two and a half billion. And they're finally starting to make some serious coin from the cloud. Yeah, I mean, I think you know you keyed in on the the right word there in cloud, and I mean that's something that I I don't know if you'd say Oracle was maybe not pursuing that opportunity as quickly as some of the other smaller, more nimble, uh, pure cloud plays out there. Perhaps they they weren't, but I I mean I think at this point it's safe to say that is a primary focus of theirs, and I think it's going to be something that uh, rewards their business for some time to come. And I mean, Larry Ellison, who's he's no longer the CEO, but he's uh, still, I believe, Director of Engineering, I think is the title he holds there now, is, is talking about them uh, having, next year, looking at new cloud bookings, breaking the $1 billion barrier for the first time. Now, I mean, with a company that generates close to $40 billion in sales annually, that may seem like a little drop in the bucket right now, but you know, keep in mind this is playing towards that greater trend of cloud computing. And really, I think you know this is an interesting sort of dynamic here because I think you know the companies that are providing those services are obviously making the right move. I think it also opens up some more interesting options for their clients because you know if you feel like so, so Oracle is focused more on offering the subscriptions to their clients. For that for that cloud software, as opposed to making them purchase you know a package and then update it uh, periodically, that's great. I think you know what it does is it keeps all of these cloud providers, it keeps them nimble on their toes, always innovating and, and, and getting better. I think it also offers their clients a really interesting position in. I, I think it lowers the switching costs a little bit because now all, all, all of a sudden they can look at these providers, they can say, okay, well we're not married to your service we've been using your service for a while but but we you know we subscribe to it and if there's you know player xyz out there that's providing something a little bit more up our alley it, it it's easier to go ahead and move those operations over um at, at least easier to a degree so you know i i think it, it's interesting to see how that dynamic plays out on both the providers and the customers but either way uh, you know it's working for oracle i mean you look at their margin picture over the over the past 5 years and you know, gross operating net margins all, uh, you know, moving up nicely, and you know, top it off with with a balance sheet that has more than twelve billion dollars in net cash. Yeah, this is a company that's going to continue to invest in their cloud infrastructure for for many years to come, and and I think it'll play out well for them. Larry Allison is a guy who I don't think ever in his life has lacked for confidence. No, and I know that Oracle was, as you put it, a little slow to the cloud <clears throat> game, but. I wonder if part of it was 
Ellison and his lieutenants sitting back and saying five, ten years ago, well, yeah, that might be a big thing, but we don't we have the advantage. We're like we don't have to bet on that right now. We've got the cash. And if that actually does become a big thing, somewhere down the line, maybe we can just buy someone. And even if we have to overpay. But don't you think if you're if you're or and I, I look at that a little bit differently than say Intel sticking with big tech companies, Intel and mobile chips. Intel right. was slow to get into mobile chips, but chips are Intel's business. And I look at what they did was being, well, just legitimately slow. I, I knock Intel a little bit more for that than I do Oracle for being slow to the cloud, because it was not core to their business. And they did have the luxury of just that steady revenue coming in the door every quarter, even if they're missing a little bit the last few quarters, I just look at them and say, well, yeah, they they can just step, they can afford to wait. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I agree. I mean, they, given their scale and uh, their financial resources, yeah, they don't have to be first to innovate um, in, in that space. And God, that's got to feel good. But doesn't it, though? I mean, they're, they're the ones they can sit back there and kind of watch this this development sort of play out, see what's working, what doesn't work. And and then you know proceed from there. I mean, talk about another big tech company. I mean, Apple. You know, Apple's not really. They're they're not the ones that are inventing necessarily all of these things. They're the ones that are making them better, right? And so I mean, that's another great example of of a, of a tech company with plenty of resources that that can sit back there and sort of watch the initial market dynamics play out, and then see how they want to approach. And then they, Oracle. Uh, I, yeah, I, th- I think that you know Larry Ellison, at least to a degree, probably looks at it that that way. And, and Oracle obviously is a huge company. Uh, I think close to two hundred billion dollar market cap. And um, while it's huge, I mean maybe it's not going to you know be it's not going to grow at some torrid pace, but it is it is a business that is going to remain very relevant for a long period of time. And and I think that now. That Larry Ellison has gotten a taste of the cloud. <laughs> Just one little I think, taste. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be pursuing it a lot more here in the coming quarters, and I bet you we see that in the language and in the results. Before we wrap up on Oracle, what do you think of the stock right now? It's within a buck of being at an all-time high, and the only reason that gives me pause, and I'm not a shareholder, the only reason that gives me pause is that its all-time high was back in 2000 with the tech bubble. Hmm. It has been a, a pretty, and it obviously it fell off a cliff from there, and has had a pretty steady climb back up. But that's the only thing that makes me just a little bit more cautious about their stock. Yeah. But, or, or am I overthinking that? Well, I mean, I don't think you're overthinking it. I mean, I think you have a big company here, so it's going to grow slower. It's just going to be more of a slow grower than than a company that's out there, you know, innovating and just kind of finding its way, perhaps. You know, I, I even though Ellison keeps a, a role with the company and is going to help sort of dictate. What they do, uh, they they now have a co CEO situation there, and I, I'm a little bit wary of that. I mean, I, I think that's something that can play out in certain cases very well, and we always refer to Whole Foods and Chipotle as two great examples. There, there's a lot we don't know here and how this is going to play out, and is if this, you know is this something where we have a co CEO or really Ellison's the one calling the shots, just kind of you know the man behind the curtain? I I don't know. Um, it, it's it's a little it's a little bit bigger than probably what I, I would care care to uh, invest in at this point. Um, but but with that said, I mean I think it's certainly one worth keeping keeping an eye on because if there is a, a point where the stock uh, do, does get hit on some you know shorter term concerns, it's one to one to you know at least keep on the watch list. Dunkin' Brands is the parent company of Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin Robbins. Third quarter results pretty disappointing, Mark. They also lowered <laughs> guidance for 2015. You looked at the quarter. What stood out to you? 
Uh, as you said, the results, not great. Uh, the, the big news for me, um, there are two points of interest. First of all, they saw decelerating sales of pre-pack- or packaged coffee in their restaurants. And we talked about this a bit uh, the other week with Krispy Kreme, where everybody in the morning business is trying to get into pre-packaged coffee right now. Uh, Dunkin', Krispy Kreme, Starbucks, Caribou, McDonald's, I think Safeway has its own K-Cup brand now. Everyone's trying to figure this uh, out. and It doesn't really surprise me that Dunkin' is struggling with that much competition right now. It doesn't own that market as well as it does some of its other markets. The bigger problem for me was the <clears throat> expected decline in comps. Uh, so Last third quarter, third quarter of fiscal year 2013, they had uh, 4.2% growth in comps. This quarter, it was 2%. Uh, and Last quarter, it was 1.8%. And it's, it's just it's not bad, but it's much, much slower than it was. And the problem with that isn't necessarily that it's slower. The problem is this is a company that is nearly 100% franchised, and it sells itself to these franchisees on the back of, you're going to make money every quarter. Look at our comps. Check it out. They had, until a year or so ago, they had 45 consecutive quarters of comp growth or something like that, something absurd. Um, and now, if you can't make that sales pitch anymore, then what happens? Then do franchisees slow down? Then do people start jumping ship? There are a lot of questions in my mind regarding that. I think long term, Duncan has a lot of opportunities ahead of it. But right now, it, it, even they say into fiscal year 2015, comps are still going to stay slow. Uh, demand's going to still stay, stay slow. Doesn't look so great for the next couple of quarters for, for Duncan. It's not nearly the mature business that McDonald's is that they can reliably sustain sustain themselves on 2% comps. No, they're not there yet. It's I read through the uh, the presentation from this quarter. It's 31 pages. 24 of them had the word growth in there. They're, they're very <laughs> much they're very focused on growth right now. This actually blew me away this stat. So, Duncan is based out of Massachusetts and in like the northeastern US, say those six states up there from Providence or from Rhode Island north, they've got about 4,000 different Duncan stores, different Duncan locations there. How many, Chris and Jason, how many do you think there are west of the Mississippi? Oh, they're just a handful. I mean, there's, they're just making like that move out hundred, to the west now. Right? 261. Yeah. yeah. Huge Very amounts of growth opportunities out there. They're expanding internationally as well. There is there is still a lot of opportunity for Duncan. And their 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 business model is a good one. The franchise model works and they they have no cost. All the costs for uh, revamping a, a a store or a location goes to the franchise owner. They're not taking in any costs at all, really. <clears throat> so I think long term, there is still growth, a huge growth opportunity. They grew 5% net, uh, net locations last year. They're gunning for 5% again this year. I think they're going to hit that. I think they're going to keep on doing 5% for the next couple of years. And again, down the road, that's going to pay off. But right now, this quarter, next couple of quarters, maybe not so much. The last two years, coming into today, the stock had Pretty nicely kept pace with the market. Right today, the stock's down not eight, so much eight nine percent. It's <laughs> it's one of the biggest losers on the Nasdaq. Loser. If you, <laughs> I mean, do you? It, so if you look at that and you think, well, you know what, the expansion opportunity west of the Mississippi is in, is literally and figuratively enormous. <laughs> and uh, you know, do, do you do you wait to see some indication that that's happening, or do you think, no, I'll just jump in now? Maybe not right now. Maybe a quarter or two. See where comps go from here. There is there is obviously some uh, cyclicality to the comps here with the seasonality and everything. 
I say wait a quarter or two. If Duncan keeps on struggling, then that may be the time to to buy in. If they turn things around, heck, you're still going to have a huge runway for growth. You're not going to miss anything by waiting a quarter or two. You know, Rite Aid's third quarter profits rose forty six percent. They don't appear to have any trouble with comps chasing. Comps up around five percent, uh, and nope. the stock itself—I checked it right before walking in the studio—shares up seventeen percent this morning. It, yeah, I mean, it well was, done. When you, when you when you exceed expectations and you raise guidance, you know, albeit you know just a little bit, even uh, that's the you know, market's going to tend to react that way, especially with something like Rite Aid. Uh, Rite Aid, it's it's been rather beaten down here recently, and you know, I'll be I'll be honest with you when I look at. Rite Aid and CVS and Walgreen, and you know, and I look at those three together. And if you said you have to invest in one of them, Rite Aid is going to be my third choice probably every time. And and that's not really it's it's nothing against Rite Aid so much. I mean, but a lot of that has to do with scale. Rite Aid is just a tiny little company compared to players like CVS and Walgreen. And you're seeing consolidation in this space already. Uh, so it it wouldn't shock me terribly if at some point Walgreen or CVS decided to jump in there and buy. Uh, Right aid just just to gain that additional geographic footprint because strategy wise I mean it's it's kind of odd that everywhere you go you see a right aid or I mean you see like a CVS and then across the street a Walgreens right they seem mm-hmm. to build right next to each other so it, it, you know you're, you're forcing the customer to choose and and honestly there's sort of a commodity feel of these stores I don't really care which one I go to I just want to go to the closest one it's the um, Burger King model right it, well basically <laughs> yeah. and I mean like you know for me so there there is a right aid close close to our house. And I mean, that Rite Aid, you know, we'll swing by there to get prescriptions and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I don't know that they're going to be opening up uh, new stores at any at any kind of a rapid clip here that would, uh, you know, make me feel like there were some tremendous growth prospects here. I think a lot of a lot of the pop today was, was more of a you know, valuation-based, where you had a stock that was really, really up against the ropes, and finally a good sliver of uh, sliver of good news comes out, mm-hmm. and and it's reacting appropriately. Uh, you know, they have five and a half billion dollars in net debt on their balance sheet. I mean, that's a lot. Now, for a company of that size, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, that that will play out on their operating income line uh, in in any kind of a a tougher time. Um, and, and what I will say, they've seen this this wave of generics come through. Generics are typically going to be a higher margin product for these stores to sell. Uh, and so, you know, when you have a company like Rite Aid, that's you know they're selling sixty seven percent of their sales are based on prescription drugs. This generic wave kind of matters. Mm-hmm. And they've seen a slowdown in the generic wave. They expect that to pick back up in the second half of two thousand and fifteen. So we'll have to kind of see, uh, wait and see how that sort of plays out there. But um, again, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting to see the dynamic here. They're, they've got this big wellness store initiative where they're trying to, you know, communicate now that they're focused more on our health and our well-being, which seems like it always should have been the case. Uh, but but you had you know CVS kind of leading the way and cutting out tobacco products, and I think Walgreens and, and rebranding and itself as CVS Health, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's going to be a big uh, focus for these concepts in, in the coming years. And and I you know, I applaud that. I think that's a good thing, and I think that will certainly uh, you know help them sort of maintain their relevance. But with that, with that tie to prescription drugs, I mean they they make a lot of their money off prescription drugs. You really have to take that into consideration. And a big part of that is their uh, their deal with McKesson, right? They made that deal earlier this year. It's it's the same sort of thing that CVS did with Caremark. It's the same sort of thing that uh, who Rite Aid did with. What is it? Amerisource Virgin. Everybody's got their wholesale generic drug dealer now. Uh, Rite Aid's up there with them. 
the, so they said in the uh, earnings report wait, as well. Wait, Rite Aid was with McKesson or Rite Aid has McKesson, CVS has Caremark. Uh, or, excuse me, Rite Aid has <laughs> McKesson, CVS has Caremark, Walgreens has Walgreens, Amerisource okay. Purchase. Sorry about that. It's, everyone has their dance partner. Everyone mm-hmm. has yeah, exactly. Everyone's got their got their partners now figured out. Uh, Rite Aid just figured theirs out earlier this year, and according to uh, the CEO, this quarter that started paying off pretty nicely for them. Again, though, to, to Jason's point, if I'm looking at the others, uh, McKesson, great company, but I don't know, CVS, they kind of beat them to the punch with the Caremark deal, Walmart or Walgreens with Amerisource Virgin, that's a bit of a bigger company. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's nice that they, like you said, have their dance partner figured out, but it's not going to make me suddenly get up and say, I need Rite Aid in my portfolio. Yep. Before we get to our final story, I want to say once again, just a few shopping days left before Christmas. <laughs> so get yourself a gift that's actually going to pay you in 2015, and that's Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Just text the word FOOL to 38470. That's 38470. Text the word FOOL. We'll send you a link. You get 75% off Motley Fool Stock Advisor, our flagship investing service. Free shipping, too, right? Free shipping on that <laughs> link that we text to you. Uh, <laughs> And and all subscript you know emails of course etc hand delivered by Jason I mean it's important you can follow us on Twitter at Market Foolery is our handle got a question from at Golfer one seven zero five nine I like him already (laughs) or her Uh, it's Scott so I'm assuming I'm assuming that's a guy uh, who asks will Cuba be the next emerging market they are fifty years behind (laughs) it's a great question as as uh, you probably heard the President of the United States talking about normalizing relations with Cuba mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people going in a lot of different directions in terms of the implications. Based on the reaction I've seen online, there's certain to be a lot of cigar enthusiasts <laughs> who are very excited that this process can only get $100 worth of cigars, though. Amen. I found that out yesterday. It's not nearly enough for me. That's you know that's all right. That's you, yeah. know, you don't want to overdo it with the cigars. Um, Swing it by one of those wellness centers. Yeah. <laughs> When you think about investing as it relates to Cuba, what stands out in your mind? What you know, is there an opportunity? Is there a business? Is there an industry that you think, oh well, we'll see how it plays out. But mm-hmm. it's nice to have a new market. Don't get me wrong, but when you look at this market, it's not huge. As we say, it's fifty years behind. It hasn't had much, if any, contact with the United States economy for a very long time now. Um, the the market that the biggest one, obviously, is going to be tourism. Uh, as people just kind of, you know, people in Miami who have generations of these Cubans who have come over, uh, they might want to return home. Uh, you've got people who just want to see the country. And that can mean anything from hotels to airlines to cruise lines. You've got Royal Caribbean out there. Yeah. Uh, are, is Cuba going to have a big impact on any of those industries at bottom lines, any of those companies' bottom lines? Probably not. Uh, let's be real here. It's it's not going to have that huge an impact. It might be nice, though. It might be a nice little tag on to uh, Royal Caribbean's you know income at the end of the day. But no, nothing, nothing's blowing me out of the water. Jason? I'll tell you, for the next quarter, I am long Scarface and Jeff Spicoli impressions. <laughs> <laughs> because they are going to be coming, I guarantee it. Um, I I mean I think to Mark's point there, it, yeah, it's not some huge robust robust market that's gonna you know probably have any real meaningful effect on on anyone's bottom line. But from the tourism perspective, I think it will be neat to at least see how Priceline and TripAdvisor sort of embrace this. How you know TripAdvisors, you, you get your your reviews from from travelers. 
and so I, I wonder if you'll see, you know, a more a, sort of a, a more robust build out on on the Cuba side there with more with more tourism and. Um, Priceline's such a big company already. I mean, I, I don't know that it would really matter, but uh, you know, it, it, it's also interesting to think. I saw where they will let U.S. citizens use U.S. payment cards, credit right. and debit cards, right. once the the travel ban is lifted. Um, and and so yeah, it's maybe not going to play play out so so much on on something like Visa and Mastercard's bottom line, but it's not going to hurt. <laughs> and and so I think that you know probably would be another uh, small benefit. <laughs> I think all three of us agree that whatever benefits come to investors, they're going to come over time, mm-hmm. and they're probably going to be, in most cases, incremental. But fortunately, for the sake of comedy, uh, not all investors think that way. And all you have to do is look at two investments in particular. One is Cuba Beverage, <laughs> which is a penny stock energy drink company mm-hmm. based in San Diego. And yesterday, when this news broke, shares of Cuba Beverage rose 140%. Even though the company does no business in Cuba, and apparently the <laughs> only thing it has in common with Cuba is the word Cuba. That's enough for me. And then, trading under the ticker symbol Cuba, C-U-B-A, is the Herzfeld Caribbean Basin Fund. Shares of that fund are up nearly 40% between yesterday and today. Again, even though this fund has no actual investments in Cuba, <laughs> it's the ticker symbol. It's a small but important detail. <sighs> as, I wrote, as I wrote on Twitter, stuff like this will never not be funny to me. It will always be funny to me. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Monday.